This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again. Now. You're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. I thought you had to have a finance degree. I thought it was very similar to investment banking with how rigid it was. Now looking back at it, there are so many different backgrounds and it's, nobody has the same timeline. Mm -hmm. It's similar to a founder where there's not one path to becoming a founder. I don't think there's one path to becoming a VC. Like obviously a lot of people say, become an operator, work at your own startup or like go get an MBA and then become a venture capitalist. But I don't necessarily think there's one set in stone path. Welcome to The Real Reel, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Real Reel podcast with me, your host, Natalie Barbu. I have been getting a lot of messages this week, and I don't know if it's just because my previous guests have been really amazing or if it's just like more people are listening to podcasts. I don't know what it is, but I'm getting a ton of messages this week that you guys have been loving the episodes. So thank you so much. I always love when I see that you reshare them, when I get good reviews, when I see you guys DM me saying that you have been listening to the podcast. It makes me so happy. And I'm very happy that some of you have even mentioned that you've been like binge listening to the pod, which is always my favorite because I know I found a good podcast when I don't even care when they uploaded it, I just want to listen. And I feel like that's really rare. And it makes me so happy when I hear that you guys are doing that to my podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you do want to give it a rating, I would appreciate that a ton. If you just give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, you can also rate it five stars on Spotify now. 
And because of that, I actually wanted to do a reviewer of the week. I haven't done a reviewer of the week in so long. I feel like I need to bring that back and I haven't done it in literally forever. So we're going to go to Apple Podcasts. We're going to see some reviews and we're going to do a reviewer of the week because I want to I want to say thank you. I mean, I feel like obviously I'm always so grateful about good like five star reviews and honestly any reviews, but I want to say thank you. So this one comes from Demiris Angelique. I hope I'm saying that right. And they said, Natalie is everything I've been looking for in a host. She's soft-spoken but confident, and it gives me reassurance that us more reserved girls can make our mark in the world without all the noise. Her selection of guests are perfect, too. Can't wait to tell all my friends about it. Keep doing your thing, girly. Thank you so much for saying that because I am someone that I'm considered an introvert, or I would consider myself an introvert. I am not the loudest person in a party. I don't really like to fill up my social calendar. I really enjoy spending time at home. Like if I do a big weekend out, which you guys know I've been doing lately, I need time to rest and recharge. So that's kind of was like this weekend for me was just a weekend to like rest and recharge. I didn't do anything. I actually got invited to go to a Calvin Harris concert and it was on Saturday night. It was 100% free. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go. I had a flight in the morning at 8 a.m. And I was like, I don't want to be up until 2 a.m. Like out at this concert, sitting in traffic. I don't want to drink. And not that you have to drink at concerts by any means. But I was like, I just the, the thought of like going out, wearing like going out clothes, going to a concert and having to wake up early for an 8 a.m. flight. I was like, it's just it's not going to happen. And so I skipped it and I gave the tickets to my friends. But yeah, I've just I'm, I'm way more of an introvert. So if I can relate to anyone out there that's an introvert, you definitely do not have to be like the loudest person in the room to start a podcast. You don't even have to be extroverted. You literally just have to be a curious person. I think I think podcasting is all about curiosity and, you know, asking questions and having candid conversations. I think that's the thing. I really prefer podcasting where I like am just like talking to the person and I'm not like following a set of guidelines. I'm not following a script. None of that. It's really just like having like a, a conversation where people are listening in as if they're in a coffee shop. So it's kind of what I what I enjoy with podcasting. Um, but anyways, I am tuning in or not tuning in. I guess I'm like podcasting in from North Carolina and I'm back at home. I came home for Mother's Day, like I said, had the early flight and it's been really nice being at home. I definitely want to start coming back home more often. So besides last month, I've been coming home every month and I really like that schedule. So I think I'm going to try to come home again sometime in June. I don't know when that's going to happen though because I am actually doing a bit of traveling coming up. So I'm actually going straight from Charlotte to New York City. So I had to pack for like over two weeks. I'm gone for a very long time. Or actually, I think I think I'm gone for exactly two weeks, but had to pack for a very long time. And so packed for New York City. I'm packing as if it's warm there. So hopefully it's warm. I have like a few like leather jackets, but mostly I'm packing like dresses and like short sleeve shirts and things that just look good without jackets on. So I'm really hoping that by the time I get there, it's warm. Like right now, it's like high of 70s, low of 50s. So I think I can like maybe throw on a jacket at night, but hopefully it's warm year like all week long. Hopefully it doesn't rain, you know, just <laughs> I hate being in the city when it's raining. So that would be ideal. But I haven't been back to New York since July of last year. So it's almost been a full year, which is insane. And I definitely want to come to New York more often. I, I really, really miss it. And I'm booking my calendar. I am so, 
so incredibly busy. So that's kind of what I'm up to and kind of my social calendar. And then I get back from New York. And then a few weeks later, I'm actually going to London for a weekend and only for a weekend. I was like, is it worth a $900 flight to go to London for literally like four days? And the answer was yes, because I haven't been to London since I was in fifth grade. So I pretty much think I just haven't been to London. Um, but I'm going to London uh, next month and I'm really, really excited. I just sporadically booked my ticket. Keon is actually going on a work trip, but I was like, it'd be fun to kind of do a workcation there where I'm working, but also on vacation. Um, he's going to be doing his work stuff. So I think I'm just going to get like a little cute like Airbnb or I don't know where I'm going to stay, but kind of do like a solo trip, hang out with him when he's not working um, and just use it as an excuse to be in London. So that's my plan for going to London. And then that week that I get back from London, I'm actually going to LA with a brand. Very, very excited. Stay tuned for kind of why I'm going, but I'm very excited. So I'm going to LA for literally three days. So I'm going to be six hours ahead in London, and then I'm going to be three hours behind in LA all within the same week. And then from LA, I'm flying to New York again and I'm going to a wedding. So I am literally going to be jet setting like all of June. And then hopefully I can just like chill in July because I've just been like kind of go, go, go all of April, all of May, all of June. And as much as I love traveling, I also like being in one place. So if any of you have London recs, please send them my way because I literally know nothing about London. Like I don't know anything. I don't know if I want to do the super touristy things or if I want to do more of like the local, like good food, good bars, um, like shopping areas, or if I want to do like, you know, seeing Big Ben and like Buckingham Palace and all of that. Like, I don't know, maybe I'll have one day to do only touristy things. And then the rest of the time I really enjoy kind of being like a local there. So I love to know if any of you are from London or have been there or studied abroad there, like what are the spots? Where should I go and what should I do? But yeah, that's kind of my travel plans. And now let's get into this episode. I'm very excited about this episode. This episode is Rachel Braun. And if you don't know who she is, she is actually a friend of mine. And I just had to have her on the podcast because she has a very cool story. And if any of you are, you know, recent grads or trying to make a pivot in your career, wanting to learn more about startups, the venture capital world, kind of do your own own thing, even if you're not interested in like tech or VC or anything like that, just making like a pivot in your career. I think this episode is going to be so incredibly inspiring for you. Rachel graduated from Penn State in 2020 with a degree in information sciences and technology, and she is now the producer. So kind of a change of <laughs> what she was doing before. She is now the producer on the top tech podcast this week in startups. It's actually one of my favorites. I really enjoy listening to it on long car rides because they're usually like two hours long. And on the show, she talks with the angel investor, Jason Calacanis on Gen Z culture, media and tech. If you do listen to that podcast, she does the OK Boomer segment. And she also has her own podcast called Brawn and Brains. And outside podcasting, she's also a content creator for a ton of VC startups and small businesses. So we talk a lot about how she got to where she is, kind of how she paved her own path. Um, and she fell in love with video production while attending school, but she didn't think it was necessarily like a career path, hence why she went into 
information sciences and technology. She also loves being on her computer all day, you know, so naturally she thought that was like the right path for her. And then at a Shark Tank inspired event at school, she heard a bunch of investors and startups speak and she decided to join a venture capital club. It was there where she met her current mentor and landed a fellowship. She also applied to her current job as a producer after being mentioned in a tweet. So like it all happened on Twitter. She's worked with venture capital firms and startups and she has a very unique approach to like how to land a job that you want to land. So this is perfect for anyone really trying to like change their job, get a new job or anyone that's a recent grad. So today's episode, we dive into how to make connections in the venture capital space, characteristics of a great startup and founder, what to look for in an investor and how to assess the value that they may bring to your company and advice for pivoting industries. I am so happy to welcome my friend Rachel to the show. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Heirs Tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 400 50 degrees, reduces inner pair split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N. In the Google 
Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com/tos for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Rachel, thanks for coming on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited because we have been talking about doing this for, I feel like, what, like two months? Yeah, when did I it's been quite a while. Yeah, yeah, it's been like two months now. So yeah, we've been talking about this for a while, but I'm excited to have someone that is in like the startup ecosystem because I usually just have founders on my podcast and I haven't really talked to someone who's like behind the scenes or like works alongside startups. So I think it's going to be a really good episode. Yeah, it's definitely a really interesting job. I don't know too many people that uh, have a job like mine. So very lucky. Yeah. Well, we're going to start with setting the record straight. So that's where I say some like assumptions, stereotypes. The first one is you have to be naturally creative to be a creator. No, I don't think so. I think you have to be consistent to be a creator. And I think you have to be really good with your time. I don't think you have to be naturally creative. I don't think so either because I don't consider myself a creative person. Oh, really? I view myself as more analytical and I like the behind the scenes and like the business side of being a creator. I don't think I'm like the best video editor or can take the best photos or like have a vision, but I like providing value and all of that type of stuff. So I think that you're right. It's more so about consistency and just like putting out content rather than being a naturally creative person. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that a lot of people also get that in their head that they are not creative enough to be a creator. And I hate that barrier. I really wish people didn't think that because I think a lot of people don't create content or put things out on the internet because they think that you need to have like the best idea ever. And I just don't think it's the case. Yeah. And also it stops you from putting out content and like what happens if you put out something and it flops? Nothing. Nothing happens. Like, okay, on to the next. But like if you put out something and it does really well, that can literally change your career. So I'm always for just like put stuff out there and then see what sticks because it's not like you're putting money into every piece of content that you put and it has to be great. So and then the next one is anyone can be a startup founder. Oh, that's a little bit harder. I would say no, because Again, it has to do with how well you manage your time, how well you manage other people, how well you manage yourself. I think there's a lot of components that can make somebody a great founder. And I don't think that it's for everybody. And I think that's okay. Like personally, even for me, although I think being a founder would be awesome. I don't know if this stage in my career or this stage in my maturity as somebody that likes to build things, I could even be a founder as somebody that gets to talk to people that founded their own companies pretty much every day. Yeah. And I do think that podcasts, Instagram, YouTube, even traditional TV, I feel like it glamorizes startups. Oh, 100%. And it's like, that's the goal. Like Mm -hmm. everyone should be the CEO and founder. And I feel like so many people feel inadequate if that's not something they want to do, but I don't think there's anything wrong with working for someone else, like doing a small business, doing freelancing. I feel like all of that, if that's for you, is equally as cool. And I don't think that everyone should or needs to be a founder either. I totally agree. And I actually think the best idea, I feel like you really want to be a founder, would be to go work for a founder. So work for somebody that is at an early stage startup, maybe pre-seed, seed, series A, series B see how they're functioning and become a first employee because then you're actually learning under somebody else instead of learning from your own mistakes. Like you want to learn from somebody else's mistakes because when you were young, you were so easily impressionable. A majority of my friends in New York, where I moved quite recently, have either started their own company or are early hires into startups. 
and it is brutal. Like Mm -hmm. the world is not for everyone. And it's good to realize that I think early on in your career, but I don't think everybody can do it now. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so either. And then the next one is that your personal brand is a business. Yes. And I actually just realized this. So (laughs) I did not work on my personal brand in college. I didn't really work on it up until probably right when I graduated around 2026 months after I had a fellowship in venture capital. And my boss at the time, he's now my mentor. He's awesome. So shout out to Santosh was like, you need to get on Twitter because that's where startup founders, a lot of them are conversing. Like granted, not all of them are conversing, but In order to meet new founders and other people that are around your age demographic, you need to be on the internet, especially now that everyone's remote. You know, Mm -hmm. how you portray yourself online, as sad as it is, is a huge way that other people get to meet. Like it's a huge connector. So I don't think it should be somebody's number one point in their job should be like build your personal brand. Like I don't think it's the be all end all, but like I definitely wish I started sooner. Yeah. How did you start? So what were you tweeting about in the beginning? Or I think that's my biggest thing. I like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. I think I'm good on video and audio and like having conversations, but writing is not like my strong suit. And so like, what did you start tweeting about? Like, What were some of those initial things? That is such a good question. So the Twitter account that I use is actually made in 2019. I don't use like my old Twitter account that I had when I was in like middle school or high school. I'm pretty sure that's deleted. So I made a new Twitter account back when I interned for the company that I ended up doing the fellowship for after college. And what I started tweeting about mostly had to pertain to supply chain and mobility because the fund that I was at invested in supply chain and mobility startups. And I would just tweet like, oh, this company looks cool in like the trucking space, the warehousing space. And obviously those things aren't like the sexiest things to be tweeting about. But that's kind of how I started. And kind of like you said, throwing things and seeing what sticks, that wasn't sticking. So I pivoted to what I was learning. And that helped me gain a little bit more traction. And as like things have progressed, I've gotten a little bit more broad with like what I tweet about. Like I don't mind tweeting things that are funny sometimes and not necessarily completely geared towards the world of startups or the world of venture capital or the world of supply chain. But I think starting out and just like sharing things that you're learning on Twitter specifically, is a great place. And I actually also started during that fellowship, and I don't do this anymore, writing longer form content on Medium. Medium is a great place if you want to start your blogging journey. And a lot of people in VC still use Medium. It's not a platform I think that's like really commonly used outside of like the world of tech startups or venture capital. I could be wrong, but I haven't really seen it. Yeah. But learning how to do long form writing helped me become a better tweeter because when you're writing something out, you want to try to make it as short and as simple as possible so somebody understands it. Writing it all down first, almost like a brain dump, I think helped me become a better copywriter. Yeah, because my thing is like, I don't know what to tweet about Mm -hmm. or I'm like, who's going to read this? Like, Like, who's going to? Yeah, I don't have like many followers on Mm -hmm. there. And because I am trying to use it solely for like Rella and like reaching out to investors and other founders. And so I don't publicize my Twitter. Like if someone finds me from YouTube, great, but I'm not trying to really attract that audience. And so to me, I'm like, I barely have followers. I don't know what to say. Who's going to listen? Who's going to pay attention? And so I feel so stuck when I'm (laughs) tweeting. I'm like, I don't know what to talk about. (laughs) I would actually then in that situation, start engaging with other people's content, especially content that you want to kind of be associated with because Twitter's an awesome platform where if you're commenting, say on like Elon Musk, Twitter. Mm-hmm. Say you're really into like aerospace and you have an aerospace startup. Start commenting on other people in like the SpaceX crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because then their followers will see your platform. Maybe they'll check out your account and see what you're saying if you're saying things that are worthwhile. But definitely interacting with other people within the community is a good place, I think, to start if you're really just feel like you hit a wall. 
No, that's a good idea. And also, I want to talk more about your past, also like your childhood, how you grew up. Were you always into wanting to kind of work for other companies, like work for startups or small businesses, consult them? Or like, what did you want to do when you were younger? So when I was in high school, I was really interested in these classes that were called video production classes. I grew up in an awesome school system for two of the years of high school. It's called Dodd schools, which are Department of Defense schools over in Germany. My dad was in the army. If your parents in the military overseas or works for the government, it's a high probability that you probably go to one of these schools. And I didn't know it at the time, but one of the best things about them are their elective classes. We had a ton of just really cool electives. And I did video production. So for a while, I actually didn't even know if I was going to go to college because I love making stuff like really good content. I didn't post it anywhere. I didn't care if other people saw it. I just wanted to make really good stuff. And more so than I wanted to work for somebody else or work for a startup, I still think that's something that has stayed true. Anything I build or put my name on, I want to make it like 100%. And I don't think I knew that I wanted to work for a startup or a small company until after I worked at a big one during an internship in college. So that wasn't even something that was on my radar until I was older. And I wish I gave startups a chance earlier in my career, but I didn't. So how did you get into it then? Like, did you network your way into it? Did you apply to a job? Like, what was kind of your entrance point? So by the time I got to college, again, I didn't think production was actually a job I could get. I thought, you know what, I should do something more tech-minded. I still loved technology and video production. I got to be on my computer all day. I knew I loved being on my computer. So I joined the College of IST at Penn State. Highly recommend anybody, if you really just don't know what you want to do and you're in college and you love being on a computer, I loved the College of IST. They have a bunch of different focuses. And when I was at Penn State, either my freshman or my sophomore year, I was handing out flyers at a pitch competition that was like a Shark Tank event to get hours. Honestly, I think it was maybe for my sorority or for something I needed volunteer hours. And when I was at the pitch competition, I started listening and I was like, wait, this is like kind of cool. And I know I don't want to be a software engineer. And at the time, I didn't know any other jobs in tech besides being a software engineer. So I heard people pitching. I was like, okay, so these people are talking about tech, but they're not coding in a room all day. So I think that was like the first indicator that this was probably the path I should go on. And then when I was in school, I also did things like help do marketing for my friend's startup and his startup is doing incredible. I'm still pretty close to him. Joined that venture capital club that was doing the pitch competition at that club. The person that actually mentors the club is my mentor still now. He's the one whose fellowship I did, whose internship I did. So definitely started in college for me. And so how did you put yourself out there just joining these clubs, reaching out to people? After college, how did you reach out to VC firms and other investors when you didn't necessarily have that experience yourself? Because I feel like a lot of people want to, not even just in the VC world, just like in any other industry, they might want to like pivot industries that they're in or like go into another field or talk to people that maybe are bigger in the industry. Like how do you make those connections and start those conversations? It definitely helped that I started early. So joining that venture capital club in college when a lot of kids at the time, this is a few years ago, I think venture capital has gotten a lot hotter over the past maybe yeah. two or three years. But five years ago, so I was probably at the cusp right when it was blowing up, I was in that club and I did an internship at a bank that was really big. And I was like, wait. I like this club that I'm in, but this internship just didn't hit the sweet spot. And it was an awesome company. The benefits were great. The pay was amazing. The building, like everything about the internship should have worked, but my heart just wasn't in it. And my heart was in my venture capital club. So there I decided to reach out to the mentor that helped out with the club, along with a bunch of other people in venture capital, basically saying, hey, I don't have a finance degree, but 
I will do anything you want me to do as long as I can get an internship or anything like that. My internship at the VCA, I actually got my sophomore year of college when I reached out to him, which is really young for getting a VC internship. But I think constant communication is something if you want to break into the industry. A lot of these jobs aren't posted on LinkedIn. They're not posted anywhere. It's all about reaching out to the partners at the fund or other people that are principals or analysts. I recommend doing that by sliding into Twitter, reaching out to them on LinkedIn, things like that. And then post-grad, because I already had that internship and I helped out with my friend's startup in college, I had like a leg to stand on. Even though that wasn't a finance degree, I had some sort of evidence. I could do really well in a fellowship. I really want to learn more about venture capital. It's not a lot, but this is what I have. And I promise, like I will put my heart and soul into it if you hire me. Okay, because you reach out on Twitter, you reach out like cold emails, they don't know who you are. How do you write something that they're going to respond to? Because they probably get hundreds a day, like not only just from people wanting a job, but from other founders, from other people wanting money, from people wanting to pick their brain. How do you craft something that they're actually going to look at and then respond to? Such a good question. So I did this thing where I reached out to one person every day for 100 days during the pandemic, and it could be on any platform. My whole thing was just... I need to keep networking. I noticed that after college, it's a lot harder to network because you just don't have a reason. Like if you have a job and you're already doing fine, Mm -hmm. you don't meet that many people outside of your ecosystem. So when I started reaching out to people, I noticed doing things like making the ask very short. So my whole message, if it was a Twitter DM, had to only be like two or three sentences, which included my name, something that they could hyperlink to. So a link so they can see other parts of my work. And then ask, being like, can I have 15 minutes of your time just to hear more about what you do? And people are always willing to help. There's very few people that said no to a 15-minute call. But making sure it's short, sweet, and simple, along with hyperlinking something, I think is a really good way to go. Okay, so I always have that problem where I want to like explain my whole life story and write something that's a little longer because I'm like, they're not going to know who I am. Like, I need to prove that I'm someone that they want to talk to. But I receive messages all the time. If it's like a paragraph long, I'm not reading it. And I know that sounds so bad, but if there's something that's like multiple paragraphs of super long, I honestly will skim it if that or like try to go to the next thing because I'm short on time and I'm like, I'm going to spend like five minutes answering DMs or whatever. And then I'll read something and I'm like, oh, this is too long. Like, let me go to something else so I can respond to as many as possible. And I hate that because I'm like, wait, these people took the time to like write a long paragraph, but I understand that it's harder and like you're not going to respond to someone that it might take you a long time to read their message, unfortunately. Okay, so what would you respond to? Like you got an email because I think I actually read out less via email than I do other forms because I find that the response is less. So I I find way more responses on LinkedIn and Twitter. So if anybody's listening, that's like looking to outbound to people, check out their Twitters and LinkedIn's. But what kind of email like would you respond to? Yeah, like the email that I would respond to, I think it would have to have links where I could see that they're legit. If it's just someone that's like, hey, can I talk to you for 15 minutes? I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Like, no, you know. But on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn, I can actually see who they are. So it's like, oh, okay, you're legit. I'll actually respond. Or if it's just someone that has something that I can see this is actually worth my time, which sounds so bad, but I think that's my mentality. If it's just like a random email with no links, I have no idea who they are. I'm probably not going to respond because it could be literally anyone and emails don't tell you anything. And also short and sweet. If it's something too long, I usually will mark it as unread for like two weeks and then I'm like, (laughs) oh, I forgot about it if it's too long. So I agree with your advice. And I think Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter makes things more personal. It's less 
businessy. And I know it's trying to be businessy, but people want to be personal, I feel like, when they're talking to someone that they don't know rather than having it be an interview or something like that. Yep. I completely agree with you. So when you reached out to 100 people, how many responded? I had a lot really good response rate. I think it was up to like 70%, which is crazy. But this was over the pandemic during lockdowns. So during peak pandemic, everybody was at home and people were very gracious with their time during this because we were all remote. And right when I noticed that people were doing speaking gigs over Zoom, I jumped on that really quick. So I actually did a ton of remote recordings for like my own podcast before I joined the podcast I'm at now during that time because people just were willing to talk to anybody at this point. Yeah. And with that, like, were you asking them to like pick their brain or was that just the call to action? So when I graduated and I was doing the venture fellowship, I actually still didn't know if I wanted to stay in the world of tech or startups or anything like that. And I just wanted to hear about people in unique career paths, whether you were like an NFL coach or were the president of Cinnabon. Like, I don't care what you do. If it's really cool, I want to hear about it because I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I'd ask initially, I'd be like, hi, can I have a few minutes of your time just to hear about what you want to do with the rest of your life like say it's even if you're so senior on in your career I've noticed that there's still forward thinkers like it's not like you mm-hmm. hit 16 or retirement age and, yeah you know you stop thinking about your future but I wanted to see where did you come from and like where do you see yourself going again only a 15 minute chat is fine and then during that 15 minute chat is when I would propose the question wow your story is incredibly interesting I think it would benefit my audience would you like to come on the podcast? Because there's also some people that I don't think my audience would have benefited off of. But mm-hmm. I benefited off the conversation. So that question wasn't posed to everyone. But if the timing seemed right, and if I thought that my audience would really like their information and advice, I would ask them then. Okay. And I don't know if you've felt this way, but podcasting, I think, is the best way to network and to reach out to people because people like talking about themselves. And also podcasting is mutually beneficial because they're exposed to a new audience and they never know who's listening to that podcast. But I have found I have reached out to some like really cool people that I'm like, they would have never responded to me. But because I asked them to come on my podcast, we had an hour long conversation of like devoted time. Like you never get to do that. Like when do you get to talk to someone for an hour that's an idol of yours or like a mentor or someone that you really admire? Never, unless you have a podcast. So I feel like podcasting is so underrated. It is. And authentic conversations are something I think that everybody misses. And I don't think it's very common to have a real authentic conversation outside of a dedicated period of time where you're like, you can't be on your phone. You have to turn off your notifications so the mic doesn't pick it up. So I find that podcasting is also way better than if I just sent over a list of questions and asked them to fill it out for a blog. It's definitely my favorite medium for getting to know someone. Mm -hmm. And people can listen in a car during their workout. Like reading takes time. Again, kind of going back to why you don't send long messages. And like, I don't know how much time I have to read a blog post, but I have all the time to listen to a podcast. And I know that you've worked with a lot of startups. So can you sense already like what makes a good founder, what doesn't, or like what startups are going to be successful, which ones aren't? Like, can you already pick up that vibe just from working with a lot of them or interviewing a lot of founders? I think I'm starting to, but I'm very lucky that I got to work under two different types of investors. So at my first fund, they did investing into pre-seed, seed stage companies in supply chain and mobility focusing mostly on SaaS companies. They're called Dynamo Ventures. And for my role now, I am a producer at This Week in Startups, and I get to hear my amazing hosts, Jason Galakanis and Molly Wood, shout out to them, interview founders. They talk to founders that are way more broad on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I think initially at my fellowship in that six-month period, I spoke, I think, like three founders every week for six months, basically. You really start to get to know and see patterns of people 
who are successful, but now moving out and not being as industry specific anymore and hearing Jason and Molly talk to founders, sometimes they're super late in their career. I noticed that there's not one way to be a founder. So definitely learning. I'm not 100% there. And I don't know if anybody's 100% there, but there are definitely some characteristics that I see. And I'm like, mm, this one's going to be good. Yeah. Is there like an industry or like specific company that you're super excited for? A specific company or industry? That's a great question. I love the idea of independent work, freelancers, contracting, creatives and things like that, because that was an opportunity that I looked at after college. So I would like more people to understand that becoming a independent is a very viable career. I went to school with some amazing software engineers that ended up going straight into big tech right after school. And although they're very content, I don't know necessarily if they're very happy with their roles because a lot of them now have to go back to the office or, you know, there's just other reasons why they might not be loving it. You don't have control of a lot of your time. Whereas if you became an independent in this space, a lot of times you could get the same amount of money, work on projects that you're more interested in and have a lot more flexibility with your own time. Mm -hmm. So things that enable people for alternative career paths are something that I've been passionate about lately. I also really like supply chain still, which is so really? dorky That's to say, <laughs> but I really like supply chain. My dad works in logistics, so it's been something that's just been spoken about a lot in my household. And then when I went to the fellowship, people kept talking about it. So it's kind of like, okay, that'll probably continue on. That's so funny. So I did industrial engineering in school, which they work hand in hand with the supply chain a lot. Usually the route industrial engineers go is like the supply chain route or the consulting route. I went consulting, but I had an internship where it was at like a warehouse, a fulfillment center. Oh, cool. Okay. I hated it. I was really? like, I'm never working in supply yeah. chain. Like when I realized, I was like, oh my God, I don't know if engineering is for me. Like this is horrible. I hate it. That's but- actually why I like it though, because I want people to get out of warehouse work. Like I don't want people to work in warehouses. They're so unsafe. My dad right now works a lot of times in a warehouse helping manage things. And it's just such an unsafe work environment. Mm-hmm. And so the more tech that can be helped to make those processes more efficient and can get people away from just the accidents that can occur, that's definitely an area that I think is really, really awesome. So it was all about like efficiency, obviously. And so I would have to time the amount of time it took to like package something. And I just felt so bad because I was sitting there with like an iPad hitting a timer for when the person would grab a box. Okay, that was one second. When the person would grab the sheet of paper, one second put the goods in the box okay three seconds and I'm like these aren't robots these are actual humans and like they're being literally assessed on how quickly they can package a box and if not what are ways to make it more efficient like should we move the box to eye level rather than like having them walk over like it was just the most (laughs) boring stuff and I was so miserable I was like I hate this I hate that I'm sitting here like I'm a college student with this iPad while this poor woman is like packaging these and I'm like timing her on it. I hated it. So I'm glad that you want to make it more efficient because I think that there's a lot of stuff that needs to be more efficient and tech can be introduced in a way that's like it's not there right now. Like there's a lot of human labor in it. So true. It's like I don't want robots to necessarily take over these people's jobs or deprive people of work. But I think that if these jobs can be supplemented by something else, people have the opportunity to get even better jobs in the supply chain logistics industry, which has has grown exponentially, especially since COVID hit and the supply chain has been very wonky. So hopefully if more tech gets invested into the space, people can go off and get jobs that are a little bit more fulfilling to them. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
then, so I know you're obviously in the VC world. Do you think that you'll ever invest in companies? Like, do you want to be an investor? Yeah, 110%. So after my fellowship, before I joined This Week in Startups, I had the opportunity to stay in venture capital, but I realized I wasn't very good at it because I had no experience. I just graduated college. So there's this phrase and it's kind of like cheesy at this point, but it's a value add investor. So when you invest in a company and they ask like, how can you help us at the time? I was like, I can't help you. I don't know anything. I very much like had six months in this fellowship. I feel like I'm thrown to the wolves right now. There are some people, absolutely incredible Gen Z VCs, Paige Finn Doherty, like I told you, we spoke about her earlier, an incredible person in this space who's someone that's young killing it. And I just know that I was not a page. <laughs> I needed to go off and get either operating experience or experience elsewhere before going off into the investing journey again. So when you're a startup and you want investors, who should you look for? Not specific investors, but like what type of value add do investors bring? Totally depends on what you are looking for as a founder. If you're looking for somebody that's really helpful with your network, I've noticed that a lot of times venture capitalists are really good at doing intros. Personally, I love being a people connector. Maybe if you're a hard tech startup, you want your VC to understand the world of hard tech, which isn't a super common industry among VCs. So if there's anybody out there that's like a engineer in the hard tech space, consider investing because there's a lot of really cool companies out there and not a lot of people that invest know about them. So it really depends on you as a startup. In your case, would it be better if you had an investor that was an influencer in the past and really understood the landscape or would you rather have somebody that doesn't know anything about it? Right. You would probably want somebody that understands the landscape that you're working with. Yeah, no, totally. I've spoken to so many people that I'm like educating them on what an influencer is and I'm like, ah. This isn't going to work. Yeah. Like my boss right now, Jason Calacanis, is just so good at making things work. Like he gets it done. So if you need somebody, an investor, that'll hold you accountable, that will make sure you're executing, he's the guy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And so I know that's a lot of reasons why people really enjoy going to Jason. Yeah. Did you have any misconceptions before working in VC about like what VC was? Totally, totally. I thought you had to have a finance degree. I thought it was very similar to investment banking with how rigid it was. Now looking back at it, there are so many different backgrounds and nobody has the same timeline, like mm-hmm. similar to a founder where there's not one path to becoming a founder. I don't think there's one path to becoming a VC. Like obviously a lot of people say, become an operator, work at your own startup or like go get an MBA and then become a venture capitalist. But I don't necessarily think there's one set in stone path. Yeah. And what would be your advice to someone who wants to kind of pivot industries? Like what's like the number one thing they should do? I think there's actually two things. The first would be reach out to people in that industry that you want to work into. Like I said, I reached out to everyone under the sun and asked like, what should I be doing? What did you do? What did work? What didn't work? And then I would also act like you already have that job. So if you're interested in venture capital, start compiling deal flow, start finding startups that you think are interesting, and then sending them to funds in an email, in a Twitter DM being like, hey, saw these startups. This reminded me of your guys's fund. I think you guys should check them out. Even better if you can give them an intro. For me, I loved podcasting. So Mm -hmm. I had a podcast when I left my fellowship. I told everybody else that I knew in podcasting, which granted at the time was not that many people. I want to keep podcasting. I love doing this. And I love talking to people smarter than me. If you know any jobs where I can do this, let me know. And one of those people actually ended up adding me on a tweet that Jason put out my boss. And that's how I got my job, like from a tweet, from telling everybody under the sun, like, hey, I love talking. Give me a job talking. 
Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I also think like nowadays, I always talk about this on the podcast, but if you want a job in a smaller business or a different field or like a startup or something that's just a little different than the traditional like big corporation, you have to be very unique in your approach of reaching out. You can't just like fill out an application and that's it. I feel like, especially with Rella, for the people that we've hired, every single one of them has come through either someone that we knew, networking, someone that's introduced us. They've like DM'd us a bunch of times. You know, it's all been like very unique ways rather than just like a here's fill out an application and that's it. I feel like that doesn't get noticed as much because you might be filling an application, but there's someone else that's getting their attention and they're going to remember the person that is like seeking attention from them. Totally. And this is not even to just like startups. So for example, if you really want to get a job at Google, reach out to people on LinkedIn that already work there, have a conversation with them and see if there is a possibility you could get a referral. Because Mm -hmm. when you get a referral there, more of a chance of your resume getting seen. Because if you don't have a referral, you're one of hundreds and hundreds of people that are probably applying to jobs there. Yeah. So I think that applies to every field too. Yeah, no, that's so true. And yes, it's all about who you know. Like I do think that just everything is all about who you know, but you don't have to previously know them. Like I don't think they have to be in your network already. You can just cold email them, cold DM them, cold, you know, like LinkedIn message, Twitter, Instagram. Like you don't have to have any form of connection to them to start that connection. Totally. Half the battle is just putting yourself out there. And like my parents are in the media space. They're not in the startup space. My dad's worked for the government his whole life and they are just incredibly supportive people, which is more than I could ask for. They're yeah. awesome. But I also think that a lot of people in VC think, oh, these people had a leg up because like their parents worked in there or they went to Stanford. And I think that the startup world and the venture capital world actually is a lot more accessible than people realize. You just have to put in work. Mm -hmm. No, totally. Well, thank you, Rachel, for coming on my podcast. Where can they find you? Where can they find your tweets and everything else? So my Twitter is at underscore Rachel Braun. And that is where I do all my tweeting and pretty much all my social media is at underscore Rachel Braun. So there, TikTok, whatever. I'd love to answer any questions. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey, my name is Lovan Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.